Welcome to Classic Lutheran Preaching, C.F.W. Walther. C.F.W. Walther was a parish pastor, later professor and first president of Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. He was also the first president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. These sermons were preached from 1840 to 1870, predominantly in congregations of the St. Louis area. Unfortunately, we do not know the specific dates and locations of most of these sermons as they have been lost to time. These sermons were originally preached and published in German and translated by Donald Heck. They're available in two volumes from Concordia Publishing House, St. Louis, Missouri, cph.org. Thank you for listening. The 22nd Sunday after Trinity, Matthew 18, 23-35. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Amen. In our Savior, dearly beloved hearers, how you live here, whether you are good or bad, influences not only your weal and woe in this world, but above all in the world to come. There is a God who hates sin and will some day punish it. There is a judgment before which all must appear to receive their eternal sentence. There is a hell, a place of torment, in which the sinner will have to endure the punishment of his sins. All this is clearly taught in Holy Scriptures. In Psalm 7 we read, God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent... God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Moreover, Paul writes to the Corinthians, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what has been done in the body, whether good or evil. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10. Finally, Christ not only says, Fear him who can destroy both body and soul in heaven, Matthew 10, but he also says of the rich man, And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes, and he called out, I am in anguish in this flame, Luke 16. This is clearly revealed in the Old and New Testaments. Yes, every person, even by nature, is convinced that there is a future accounting and punishment for sins. Yet in our times, many have sunk so deep that they deny and even mock this. They deny not only God's clear word, but the testimony of their conscience. They uproot the soul, not only of the Christian, but of mankind itself. This is more than heathenish darkness, for even the heathen have believed in a punishment for sin after death. This is more than heathenish darkness, I say, is preached. It's preached this day as enlightenment. Nowadays, they boldly write in their periodicals, After death there is no judgment. Judgment day is an invention of priests, dreamed up to frighten the rabble. Hell is a dream. Yes, that is what is preached from many Christian pulpits. There are entire denominations whose confessions read as follows, All men will be saved. Whoever dies goes through death. 
as through a narrow door, into the dwelling place of eternal joys. That nowadays mockers have arisen, even who deny everything, dare not surprise us all. Eighteen hundred years ago, holy men of God predicted this of the last times. Men had to fall from the apostolic faith into these last, most unfaithful, dirtiest dregs of unbelief and mockery. Peter predicts, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Second Peter 3. Peter predicts here that in the last days mockers would arise who would scornfully say, Have we not always read that judgment day would come soon? Well, where is it? Never mind, there is no judgment. Let us eat, drink, and be merry, for after death it is all over. This pestilence of unbelief has frightfully infected and poisoned whole Christian nations. Yet many who wish to be Christians entertain another delusion. They believe that sins will be punished, but that a person can still atone for them after death in purgatory. Even if he died in his sins, he can still be saved. To show you how completely groundless this hope is, is the purpose of today's sermon. Matthew eighteen twenty-three to 35 Jesus says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold, with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused, and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant! I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant, as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So far our text. Christ closes the parable with the words, His master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debts. Many have explained these words to mean that even if a person had died in his sins, he still could be saved. But with these words, Christ wants to say the very opposite. Let us therefore consider them more closely. Since I am guiding you, I will speak to you on the groundlessness of the hope of salvation after death. Permit me to indicate the ground of this hope, groundlessness of this hope and to what this hopeless expectation in eternity invites us.
Natural man is only too happy to hear the teaching that, even after death, he can do something to be saved. Though natural man hopes that he will be taken into grace, yet he does not have the courage heartily, really, and truly to believe it. But it is only a wavering hoping and thinking, an uncertain perhaps and maybe. In such uncertainty, the doctrine that after death there is still time to make up for his neglect stands him in good stead. And they treasure this hope, even if they are taught that they must atone for their sins for hundreds of years in the most terrible, painful purgatory, just as long as the comfort that they have will still arrive in a place of eternal joy. Many, especially in the Roman church, try to quiet their conscience with this hope, yet it is completely groundless. What is the basis of that hope? They base that hope on what Christ says in our gospel. When the master delivered his unfaithful servant to the tormentors, until he should pay all his debt. They argue, do not the words, until he should pay, clearly indicate that he will be redeemed when this time has passed, when he will have paid his debt in full? Do we not see in that little word, until, that the pain of the unfaithful servant will not last forever, but only for a time? Does not Christ most clearly offer the hope to men who die in their sins that in the world to come they will still be saved? Now, what should we say to this? In order to be certain, we must answer two questions. First, whether this word of Christ must mean this, and secondly, whether it can mean only this. Naturally, if these words must have this meaning, we dare never depart from this meaning, even though it appears to be contradictory. But that the words of Christ, until he should pay it all, must not mean as much as only until this time, is shown beyond a shadow of doubt from other passages of Holy Scripture. The little word, until, is often used of such things which not only last for a definite time, but which never end. For example, God the Father says to his eternal Son, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Psalm 110. Now, who will claim that, according to this passage, Christ, the Son of God, would no longer sit at God's right hand when all his enemies are conquered? Do not Psalm 45 and the letter to the Hebrews say of Christ, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Moreover, we read, And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. 2 Samuel 6. Who will be so foolish as to believe that this indicates that Michael bore no child until her death, but did afterwards? You see from these two examples that are in God's word, that we at times read of such things. These took place until or until then, without denying the eternal duration of such things. So, although we read that the unfaithful servant should be tormented until he should pay all, this does not necessarily say that a time would actually come when he would have paid all and would be free again. My friends, not only must this not be the meaning of Christ's words, it also cannot possibly be the correct one. Or can God's word contradict itself? Does not God's word say that Christ alone has atoned for the sins of men, that he alone can attend to atone for them? 
Does not God's word say that a person cannot be saved by his works, but alone, by grace, through faith in Christ? Does not Christ say, I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me? Isaiah 63. Does not John the Baptist, pointing to Christ, say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? John 1. Does not Christ say, I am the way and the truth and the life? No one comes to the Father except through me? John 14. Does not Peter declare, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved? Acts 4. Do we want to have the words of our text? until he should pay all his debt. Say that a person could still atone for his sins himself after his death? Would that not flatly contradict the clear testimonies of Scripture, that Christ alone has borne the sins of all men, and that no one can be saved through except through him alone? Does one not then man- maintain that there are people who did not have to thank Christ and his bitter suffering and death, but themselves and their own pains, which they endured in eternity for their salvation? Would that not abolish the entire gospel? Would not Christ be slandered? Would we not say that his satisfaction and redemption was not complete? Would we be damned by their own Savior? Would that not overthrow the main teaching of Christianity, that sins are forgiven alone by grace for Christ's sake? What a perversion of his words, which denies and dishonors Christ and his precious redemption. No, when Christ says that certain people will not leave hell until they have paid the last penny, he really wishes to indicate the sternness of divine righteousness. He means to say that they are lost beyond help, since they cannot pay it in all eternity. He wants to awaken us to receive his payment for our sins now. Otherwise, it will cause us terror when it will be demanded of us. He wishes to encourage us to say with that old hymn, All sins thou borest for us, else had despair reigned o'er us. Have mercy on us, O Jesus. There are others who do not believe that a person can pay for his sins in eternity. They know right well that Christ alone can save them, yet they cherish the delusion that one can still come to faith in hell. Even if one has died in unbelief, he will be still saved through Christ. Today's gospel most decidedly destroys this delusion. Christ says payment was demanded from the unfaithful servant after he despised the king's first display of his grace. He shows us that grace ends in eternity. If one does not now hear the sweet voice of the gospel, be reconciled to God, 2 Corinthians 5, he will in eternity hear the terrible voice of God, pay what you owe. If one despises grace here, He will in eternity face all the sternness of divine righteousness. Not only does Christ teach this in our text, all of Holy Scripture in very many passages testifies to the very same thing. Isaiah says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Isaiah 55, 6. There is a time when God can no longer be found. Solomon says, If a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. 
Ecclesiastes 11. This means nothing else than this. If a man dies in God's grace, he has it forever. If in death he is under God's wrath, he is under it without end. Christ says the same with the words, night, namely the night of death, is coming when no one can work, John 9. Paul adds, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good, Galatians 6. For behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation, 2 Corinthians 6. Yet why should I enumerate all these passages of Scripture? The whole Bible, all the sermons of the apostles and prophets, are invitations extended to the world to repent in this life and to believe in Christ, because in eternity the opportunity will have flown by. The whole Bible is based on the teaching that this is the time of grace, and that in eternity man receives his reward, either eternal death or eternal life. Whoever, like the foolish virgins, was without the oil of true faith here, strives in vain, in death, to buy the oil of faith which he lacks. It is too late. In vain he pounds on the door of grace. It remains eternally closed. In vain do the condemned desire just one drop of divine refreshment. Even this is denied them. God has established a fixed and insurmountable abyss between them and the blessed. In short, there is no escape from hell. So you see how groundless the hope of being able to do something for one's salvation after death is? Whoever bases his salvation on this hope will someday find himself miserably deceived. He will learn that Christ alone can blot out all his sins. He will make amends for them, but he will never pay them off in eternity. He will pay for them, but never completely repay them. He will learn that his temporal life concealed his eternal fate like a shell, and that when he wasted his temporal life, he also wasted the eternal. Now, in view of this hopeless expectation in eternity, what are we to do? Permit me to show you that in the second place. My friends, even if we actually had the hope of receiving God's grace someday, that in itself would be a most foolish and godless reason to wait one second before receiving the greatest treasure of all which one can own. Suppose a person could receive a fortune today. Would he prefer to remain longer in his misfortune? Would he want to wait until tomorrow or several years or until the last possible moment? Certainly, no one. In temporal matters, everyone is so wise that he follows the rule, the sooner the better. If anyone would not follow this principle, everyone would consider him an errant fool. How foolish, therefore, to hesitate in spiritual matters to the very last moment to remain peacefully resting under God's wrath and wait until one is in eternity before asking for his grace, to be burdened here with sin and an evil conscience, and in eternity first be freed from them, to live here as a child of hell and in eternity first want to become a child of heaven? Oh, the folly, the blindness of it all! That wretch is so accustomed to the misery of sin that it has become a loving pet which he cherishes and nourishes and from which he can only unwillingly 
free himself. Alas, he has become such a great enemy of God that he will wait as long as possible before seeking him. If it is most foolish to wait until eternity before turning to God, it is much more foolish, yes, madness, if a person does not care to be saved now, since the time of grace ends forever at death. Since the expectation of being saved in eternity is completely hopeless, the first thing to do is for everyone who still does not have God's grace to seek it out. Bear in mind, my dear hearer, that the unfaithful servant of our text, who owed his master the unpayable sum of 10,000 talents, is man. You also owe God that much through the countless sins which you have committed in thoughts, desires, words, and deeds against each of the Ten Commandments. God has reckoned with you every time he has let his word be preached to you, and every time you were convinced that you were a sinner. He has long ago passed sentence upon you. Have you just once fallen down before your God and King and cried to him for patience and grace? Have you honestly confessed to God that your whole heart is corrupt and your whole life is lost? Do you believe that God will take pity on you and that he has forgiven all your sins and your great guilt for the sake of Christ? And do you still fall down before God? daily confess your guilt with a broken heart and beg him for grace? Or have you supposed that you have no time? Do you consider other things more important and necessary? Have you sought to straighten up your temporal affairs first, or enjoy the world, or become rich, or serve a pet sin for a time? Have you postponed earnestly seeking God's grace time after time so that you are always uncertain how you stand? Alas, my dear hearer, for what are you waiting? Are you not aware of the terrible danger you are in? Cannot death overtake you as quickly as many other people? What would then become of your soul? Your time of grace is then forever ended. If you are bound on earth, you will be bound also in heaven. If your sins were retained upon earth, they are also retained in eternity. Then your tears of repentance will not move God's heart, for the day of recompense and righteousness has come. Alas, what woes will you pronounce upon yourself? Here you can so easily find grace. You need only sigh for it. There, however, you can scream for grace forever and you will only hear the frightful voice, Pay what you owe. If nothing else can move you to consider everything else non-essential, take care of your soul and seek God's grace. This should. Only a short time is given you in this world. If you have not sought and found grace during this short time, you must remain without grace forever. As the hopeless eternity invites the unbelievers to seek God's grace, so also those who have already found it can find in it a forcible sermon. It invites them to watch over themselves, lest they lose their treasure. Our Lord Jesus shows us in this in the unfaithful servant. The guilt of the unfaithful servant was remitted when he had humbly implored his master for patience but he forgot the mercy which he experienced and showed himself unmerciful toward his fellow servant. 
The master took his words of grace back, became angry again at him, and threw him into prison forever. What a warning for you, pardoned Christians. Though God permits himself to be easily moved to forgive all your sins, he can just as easily take his grace away and become angry with you if you fall back into the sins which were forgiven you. You may have been an upright Christian for a long time, but if you let your forgiven sins rule you again, then all your righteousness will not be remembered. God again charges your debt to you, and if you should die, your soul is lost and your crown is gambled away. Alas, you fallen Christian, do not comfort yourself by saying that you can always return in time. It is true that as long as God shows you grace, the door of grace is open. Today you are invited. If you do not want to come, who has assured you that death cannot overtake you and drag you unexpectedly in your sins before God's judgment throne? If you say with the rich man, soul, relax, eat, drink, be merry, who can guarantee you you will not also get the same reply he did? Fool! This night your soul is required of you. Luke 12. Do you not remember that in eternity the fallen never rise again, the unrepentant never repent, the sentenced cannot be pardoned? Ah, therefore, may none of us play with God's grace. May each individual walk with fear, and finally, enter with joy into that world to come. May everyone set his house in order through true repentance. Then, by zealously praying, faithfully watching, and earnestly contending, walk in grace until his end, die happy in grace, and through death, enter into an unspeakably glorious eternity. May Jesus Christ help us all reach that goal. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. You've been listening to Classic Lutheran Preaching, CFW Walther. These sermons are available in two volumes as a part of Walther's Works, Concordia Publishing House, St. Louis, Missouri, cph.org. We thank you for tuning in, and we pray that God's Word has and will continue to be a great blessing in your life.